Good morning. Let's get straight to markets. Take a look at the impact for the indices. Factual. Succinct. All you need to know before your trading day starts. Subscribe to our newsletter, CNBC's Daily Open. Hello and welcome to Beyond the Valley, the podcast that explores the world of tech. I'm Tom Chitty and with me is CNBC's senior tech correspondent Arjun Karpal. Our main story this week is the cryptocurrency comeback, with the price of Bitcoin reaching $34,000, the highest since May 2022. So what's behind this resurgence? We'll be talking about a potential Bitcoin ETF. If you have no idea what that is, stick with us and we will explain all a little later. And the digital currency's unique process of halving. Yep, we'll also explain that too, and why it could be driving up the price. But as is often the case, the excitement around digital currencies is tempered by questions around fraud, regulation, and even funding for militant groups. Beyond the So Arjun, how's your week been? It's been uh, pretty good. Yeah, um, good. Busy, uh, which is which is good. Is it ever not busy? Yeah, sometimes. Really? Yeah, sometimes. Occasionally, when everyone in tech is sort of, uh, you know, on holiday, maybe. Yeah. Do they? Do people in tech take holiday at the same time? Yeah. We're not back on the holidays again, are we? No, we're not back on holidays. No, but you know, sometimes it's quiet. But now, do you know what's happening now? Mm. What they call earnings season. Oh. It's not as exciting as it sounds. For 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 tech specifically, oh really? Okay, all right. Um, in the US, uh, big European companies and a lot of the companies out in in Asia. So that's that's going to be keeping me busy. Good. So today, obviously, we do, we're going to be discussing cryptocurrency. Later in the episode, we'll also be discussing uh, Japan's probe into Google, China investigating Taiwan-based iPhone maker Foxconn, and whether Huawei can really overtake Apple in China. Before we get to that, um, just to remind our listeners that if you have any questions on what we've discussed this week or past episodes, then email beyondthevalley at cnbc.com. And we will, we will answer them right here on the podcast. Uh, so any questions, whether it's on crypto, whether it's on AI or Arjun's roll neck choice, um, you know, he's wearing a mustard one today. We could even talk about that. Please do email in. And before we get into our main story, we have, of course, got to hear Arjun's stat of the week, which is Arjun. 2.97 trillion US dollars. Tom? 2.9. Have a think. Write it down. 2.9 trillion US dollars. Okay, I will have a think. I feel like you're getting closer every week. No, I got... What are you talking about? I got really close the other week. Uh, well, as in I got it right, pretty much. It's like a half. can't believe you... I got a half. A half a point. Half point. Which, which you know, is a big step up from zero. From zero. And that's where it is most weeks. So let's get back to our main story. A recent report from American bank Morgan Stanley said that the crypto winter may be in the past. So Arjun, after Bitcoin's rapid rise this week, has spring sprung for digital currencies? It looks like it's getting there. It looks like we may be in the early stages of that. Um, But I would temper that by saying... There are a lot of challenges ahead, which no doubt we're going to dip into. Okay. Because, I mean, you know, when I think of crypto, I've, it, it's all sort of tied up with me with the pandemic. Because, 
it was during the pandemic, right, where people were at home, um, maybe had a little bit more disposable income because they couldn't go out to the pub or the shops and, and spend their money. And we saw the price of Bitcoin and other crypto uh, skyrocket, uh, get to some sort of record highs. And then once you know we all came out of lockdown, that price started to gradually come down. Well, firstly, you mentioned that all-time high during the pandemic. November 2021 uh, was when Bitcoin reached almost $70,000 a Bitcoin. Uh, A lot of money. Um, And then another number for you. In 2022, 1.3 trillion US dollars were wiped off of the entire cryptocurrency market. So that's all the cryptocurrencies, the value of that 1.3 trillion uh, was wiped in. And you mentioned crypto spring. Well, that's where the crypto winter uh, started to set in. Um, And it was driven by a number of things, which we're digging into now. I think the interest rates uh, began to start rising globally. Uh, You had investors who were highly leveraged um, and got wiped out of the market. And one of the things that was so different about this cycle, because Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies go in cycles. There's there's a there's a boom uh, and then a bust. Is it is that not what happens with other you know things that are traded um, on the stock market? Is it not cyclical like that, or, or or is it is this specific to crypto? No, no, of course, a lot you know markets do have cycles and they go in cycles. It, just the duration of them are different, right? Uh, I think in in, in other and assets. the volatility, I assume, and the volatility as well. And so, um, you know, we had uh, you know often you see the boom, the bust, and and then the sort of consolidation, quiet period, and then uh, you're in a crypto winter, and then the spring emerges, and and then it's all the flowers are blooming. Flowers are blooming, and and then it's summer again, and everyone's having a great time, cocktails on the beach. Uh, it's fantastic, and that's what happened happens in uh, in crypto but what was interesting about the last cycle where we saw that sort of run up to an all-time high in November 21 and then the boom was that things were so different versus other cycle lots of things were intertwined lots of intricate parts of the market were intertwined, and we'll unpack that um, but there are lots of different factors that that led to it okay yeah I mean it's quite I remember there being a sort of domino effect with uh, companies collapsing left right and center um, when we sort of got to that beginning of the the crypto winter. Um, tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so it kind of all started in early, you know, after the all-time high um, in November 21. It started after that, and there was talk of um, interest rates on the rise, inflation continuing to rise. And so one of the things about, and I'm going to talk about Bitcoin in particular, but it does apply to other cryptocurrencies, is that it had closely... Um, correlated when it came to trading with stocks uh, and often people call stocks risk assets bitcoin is a, is seen as a risk asset and so um in times of of high interest rate environments what we see is some of these riskier assets get sold off investors begin to dump them um and bitcoin was was no different to that and so people turned away from 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 these kind of assets um, including Bitcoin. And that began sort of a, a price sec- decline a- and put pressure on, on Bitcoin. But then you mentioned collapses, and that was a huge feature of the cycle. And I'd say one of the biggest moments happened in, in sort of early, the early part of 2022, where this project uh, or this stable coin uh, called Terra USD or UST um, 
effectively collapsed. Now, a stable coin, very quickly, uh, we have tackled these in other episodes um, in the previous uh, series of Beyond... Before, before my time. Before your time. So so please go back, listen to them, and, and there's lots of explanations on cnbc.com. But effectively, it's a type of uh, cryptocurrency that is supposed to be um, pegged to uh, another asset. And in many cases, these cryptocurrencies are attempted to be pegged to the US dollar one-to-one, i.e. one stablecoin equals one US dollar. Now, the reason that they exist, or a large portion of the reason they exist, is because they're very they're easy to uh, use for trading. Instead of having to sort of go from uh, US dollar into crypto, you go from US dollar into um, a stable coin, which is another cryptocurrency effectively mirroring the dollar, and you can trade quickly. Some of the biggest stable coins uh, claim to be backed by real assets. So that could be US bonds or cash, uh, effectively backing up the amount of stable coin that they issue. Uh, and so if there was ever a moment where everyone in the world who had one of these stable coins says, I want my US dollars back, that in theory should be able to happen. Now, Terra USD uh, or UST was what they called an algorithmic stablecoin. So rather than being backed by a basket of, of real world assets, um, it was a cryptocurrency that effectively was was governed by an algorithm. Problem is, that went wrong. Uh, and UST just depegged from the US dollar. Uh, it spiraled and there was a sister token associated, which was part of this system, also collapsed to effectively zero. Um, and that led a sort of spiral effect onto the rest of the market. Right. With those companies sort of all being intertwined, those being pegged uh, to the USD, and how does that sort of spill out when, you know, there are, I imagine, other companies that are also um, connected? How did that affect them? There were a number of issues. One was that there were traders who were super highly leveraged. And what that means is effectively people were trading um, with borrowed cash. Uh, and what happens then is when there's a there's a decline in the market, um, investors will get margin called. And a margin call is a situation in which an investor has to commit more funds in order to avoid losses on a trade made with this borrowed cash. Now, when you can't meet that, your position is effectively liquidated, sold off. Uh, and that adds to more selling pressure. So the market was falling, people were leveraged, they couldn't meet the margin calls, more selling pressure taking place. Um, contagion, really. Contagion. And that was the big theme of the cycle. Now, another part of that was uh, as a result of this liquidity issue. So there were a lot of companies at the time offering investors higher returns if they deposited their crypto with them. One of those companies that was at the heart of this was called Celsius, a company that offered users yields of more than 18%. That's something that would have probably been attractive to a lot of people. But Celsius acted sort of like a bank. It would take the deposited crypto, lend it out to other players at a high yield. Those players would then use it for trading. And the profit Celsius made from the yield would be used to pay back investors who deposited that crypto. But obviously, when the downturn hit, those traders were <clears throat> were losing money, perhaps unable to pay Celsius back. And so Celsius couldn't pay its users back. Mm. And so there was this massive knock-on effect. Loads of users wanted to withdraw their funds with Celsius, but Celsius didn't have the money to do so. Um, the former Celsius CEO, Alex Mashinsky, stepped down. Uh, U.S. authorities uh, charged him with fraud and, and market manipulation. And that's an ongoing case. 
um, as well. He's pleaded not guilty. But that contagion continued. Like I said, huge theme. Uh, another big sort of, I guess, poster child of the collapse in 2022 was Three Arrows Capital, a very bullish crypto hedge fund. They had exposure to that that stable coin I was talking about, Terra USD, um, and they were hit with liquidity issues, defaulted on a loan, eventually filed for bankruptcy, and so those were some of the big cases um, that took place and and really epitomised what happened in 2022. And, and if you think about the ongoing fallout. Um, we mentioned one case that's uh, what's happening at the moment. Um, but for our listeners that maybe aren't au fait with the uh, crypto world, but, you know, do keep up with the news, they probably have heard of FTX and the ongoing court case and charges against the founder, Sam Bankman-Fried, of fraud. Where are we at with that? So that's an ongoing case. Uh, as you mentioned, FTX filed for bankruptcy last year. Sam Brankman-Free really was the mastermind behind this company, the founder, CEO. Uh, and what they've effectively been accused of, and he's been accused of, is is fraud. Um, and in particular, it surrounds the way that funds were uh, what they call co-mingled um, between FTX and his crypto trading firm, Alameda Research. Now, that is, of course, a, an ongoing trial. Um, but again, I think it it speaks to some of the issues that were at the heart of the crypto industry. Interestingly, I'll say this. Um, a lot of the crypto people we, we've spoken to, a lot of the executives we've spoken to this year, um, they have tried to distance themselves from Sam Bankman-Fried and from FTX. And what they're trying to point to is the fact that this is a company that's been alleged of fraud. Not It's not a crypto issue. It's an issue about fraud. And that's what they try to say uh, in order to distance themselves uh, from this issue. I also wanted to sort of talk about the other reasons, maybe, why crypto or particularly Bitcoin uh, has seen a, a rapid rise in its valuation. I know that there is rumors um, or talk of a Bitcoin ETF uh, in the offing. And that may have sparked some of this uh, recent excitement. Just for our listeners who are thinking, what is a, what the is uh, an F uh, an ETF? I'll do a quick try and explain it quickly. Um, so an ETF stands for exchange traded fund, and it is a type of pooled investment security which can be structured to track anything uh, from the price of gold to a basket of stocks. Um, it can be bought and sold on a stock exchange, um, just like you would with uh, regular stock. And a Bitcoin ETF would give investors a way to gain exposure to Bitcoin's price movements without owning the cryptocurrency directly. So now that we know what an ETF is, why are investors so excited? Your explanation is spot on, Tom, and that's why they are so excited. They don't have to own the Bitcoin. Um now, Bitcoin has had this reputation of being very volatile, which is true. It is extremely volatile. Um, and it has had the reputation of being unsafe uh, for many investors, in particular traditional investors. And I think when you have something like an ETF, what that does is that's an established kind of investment product, right? Uh, and what that does is it actually uh, would be more tempting to more traditional investors who might want to get into Bitcoin and have exposure to Bitcoin. So if an ETF comes to pass, then the thinking is this is going to open the floodgates for huge institutions with 
um, you know, billions uh, of dollars to potentially spend into the crypto market. And that's really what they're um, banking on here. Now, why the recent excitement around ETF? And, ju- and just to make the point, Bitcoin has, is up around 100% this year uh, in terms of uh, its price. Um, at the time of this recording, uh, in the past couple of days, had a sort of massive rally. Uh, yeah, if, if, I'm getting a bit of nostalgia because there was a time when we used yeah. to, we used to, well, you uh, specifically used to write articles about oh, Bitcoin's just broken this price, and then it would be ancient news days later, hours later, and you'd yeah. have to write a new article. <laughs> Bitcoin's broken through this price. Exactly. So, uh, so anyone who's listening to this now, I would say just check the price we're at. But it, you know, uh, this week we're recording. It broke through thirty-four thousand uh, dollars. I think we checked just before we recorded. It was just above thirty-four thousand. Yeah. And it had sort of a twelve percent rally in about twenty-four hours, and, and and so and it's been rallying over the past few days. And it all started um, because a crypto publication tweeted in error um, that a Bitcoin ETF had been approved, and that spiked. Bitcoin's price initially. But that's got interest back in Bitcoin now. And I think even though that news didn't turn out to be true, what it shows was how much the market's betting on an ETF happening. And if it does, what that could do to the price. And there's a couple of things that have happened um, that have, uh, have convinced investors that an ETF is on the way. Now, there an ETF in the US, and we're talking about the US, has not been approved by the Securities and Exchange Commission, the main securities regulated there. Uh, they've been quite against it. Uh, and there's a company called Grayscale. They've got this huge Bitcoin fund, which they're trying to convert into an ETF. Uh, the SEC rejected it. And so uh, they went to court over this. And the judge actually said the SEC was wrong to reject this ETF application. And so they had some time to appeal. But the SEC didn't appeal against the ruling. And that was one of the things that uh, convinced investors, actually, maybe the SEC has softened its stance to an ETF and that one could be approved. Now, there's a lot of talk in the industry about one coming, but the majority of the industry is convinced that there could be one pretty soon. Now, uh, in the past week or so, I've been catching up with a number of executives in the cryptocurrency space. One of those is Paul Grewal, who's the chief legal officer at Coinbase, one of the big cryptocurrency exchanges. And I asked him about what he thinks uh, about a crypto ETF and when he thinks one might be on the way. Well, I'm quite hopeful that these applications uh, uh, will be granted, if only because they should be granted under the law. Um, and I think that the, um, uh, the, the, the firms that have stepped forward with uh, robust proposals to offer these products and services are among some of the biggest blue chips in financial services. So um, that, I think, suggests that we will see progress there in short order. But it's ultimately going to be up to the SEC. And I think that after um, the U.S. Court of Appeals made clear that the SEC could not reject these applications on an arbitrary or capricious basis, um, we're going to see the commission uh, fulfill its responsibilities. I'm quite confident of that. So he, he's pretty confident. He says that an ETF's on the way. The majority of the in- industry is pretty confident. I think they feel the SEC has softened its stance somewhat to to an ETF. And so, um, again, as I mentioned, the reasons for that excitement are because it could bring a whole wave of investors in. But, of course, remains to be seen whether that actually happens if one's passed. Let's talk a little bit about halving because, again, this is another reason why maybe we're seeing the price of Bitcoin going up. Um and it also goes back to why this is cyclical, right? Because halving happens, I think, every four years. Uh, 
explain to our listeners a little bit about what halving is. Yeah, you're right, Tom. That that does add to the cyclicality of it. Well, look, with Bitcoin, again, we've dealt with the mechanisms of Bitcoin. Go back and listen to the episodes. But very quickly, you know, Bitcoin works on um, this process of uh, transactions being validated by uh, a group of people uh, they call miners who run these very specialized uh, machines that are able to solve complex mathematical equations. And that's effectively how a Bitcoin uh, transaction is verified uh, and then added to the so-called blockchain, which is a uh, public ledger effectively of activity with Bitcoin. Uh, for their efforts, they're rewarded in Bitcoin. Um, but every four years, the rewards they get uh, are cut in half, hence called the halving. And the point of that is to one, keep a lid on inflation in Bitcoin, but to um, slow down the supply of Bitcoin into the market. There will ever only be 21 million Bitcoin in the market, no more. Uh, and so... How many are we at right now? That's a good question. I haven't checked recently. Uh, that could have been your stat of the week, I could have been my stat of the week. But my stat of the week's way better. So... Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we got to so so it's partly to reduce supply and what that does is uh create what the bitcoin industry likes to call scarcity of bitcoin. Um and sometimes when things are scarce, uh people are willing to pay more for them. And so that's why there's this theory that halving helps um support the bitcoin price. And history shows that it does often in the run up and post halving that um there is price support. So there's all these factors at play right now. There's um, questions over whether interest rates will be cut next year. Um, and if so, that could be supportive for Bitcoin because, as I mentioned, it trades like a risk asset. But the other point, which is also interesting, that, that Bitcoin is often called um, digital gold or, or proponents like to call it digital gold. And they argue that it's a safe haven asset like gold, where in times of uh geopolitical turmoil or market turmoil people flock to that asset and so bitcoin seeing a little bit of that as well so that factor um plus potential interest rate cuts plus um the etf excitement plus anticipation of halving i think is why you're seeing so much support right now for bitcoin there's also been a lot of talk about crypto and its use in illicit things um Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Now the focus has turned to whether crypto is being used to fund militant organizations. Um, Wall Street Journal reported recently that crypto has been used to donate to militant groups like Hamas amid this conflict with Israel. Um, what does the industry have to say about that? Well, there was this view a few years ago that crypto was anonymous. But actually, due to the blockchain and the technology, crypto is quite traceable. Uh, and a lot of companies have been set up to trace Bitcoin and uh, work with law enforcement agencies, etc. Uh, and that's kind of what's happened. So Tether is a stablecoin issuer, um, the world's largest. And um, they said uh, recently, to date, uh, Tether has aided uh, 31 agencies worldwide with investigations across 19 jurisdictions 
freezing a total of $835 million in assets, mostly associated with theft, um, i.e. blockchain and exchange hacks, with a minor portion to other crimes. Uh, and then they said of this, Tether has frozen 32 addresses containing $873,118 that were found to be linked to illicit activity in Israel and Ukraine. Um, so you can see companies are trying to take action uh, on this. And I had a chance to catch up with Paolo Arduino, who is the CEO of Tether, who talked about how the company is tackling funding of militant groups using crypto. So, um, of course, new technologies are being explored um, for uh, all type of activities. Unfortunately, uh, as many times happen, new technologies are also used for nefarious activities. Nevertheless, uh, the um, the good usage of these technologies is uh, um, is vastly um, overtaking and has vastly overtaken the use the the bad usage uh, over the last uh, many years. And so I'm positive um, we are showing that uh, being proactive and being reactive at the same time is uh, is helpful. Um, we as Tether uh, over the last three years uh, helped um, many members of our community and the general crypto community to freeze more than $800 million, mostly related, related to tests, uh, to hacks uh, on, on the blockchain. And we were able to return many of these millions of dollars to legitimate users. I asked the questions to the traditional banking system and the traditional payment uh, service providers if they have the same ability, because to my knowledge, they don't. I think the view here often in the industry is that, yes, crypto has been used in, in various uh, activities, uh, but actually um, it's no bigger uh, really than the traditional financial system and cash and various other means uh, as well. And so that's where they sort of defend themselves uh, and they show that they're, they're taking action as well. Interestingly, lawmakers in the US very recently um, asked the Treasury, uh, the US Treasury Department, uh, what they're doing to tackle uh, some of the uh, money movements in crypto that are going to allegedly elicit purposes. Uh, Paul Growell from Coinbase uh, spoke about this in his interview with me, and I asked him what he thought about this. I think it's unfortunate, Arjun, that um, politicians uh, in the United States and perhaps elsewhere um, sometimes take advantage of these terrible tragedies that, take, that, that occur all over the world to focus on particular sectors or particular industries. Interestingly, quite fiery words. Uh, what he was effectively saying was that Crypto is not the only issue here, but politicians are are kind of using this moment now to to really kind of uh, scrutinise uh, the industry and perhaps not looking at other means uh, of of illicit financing as well. Uh, but it's certainly something that the industry is is trying to take uh, very seriously. That's the view uh, currently from the crypto industry. Uh, for me, the the future for Bitcoin and cryptocurrency in general, but but but. Bitcoin specifically, is that whether it can get into the mainstream, whether mainstream investors who traditionally would have, you know, gone to the financial markets, you know, stock market uh, and invested there, uh, they whether they can pull those investors in. And when we're talking about all these things, whether it's, you know, um, ETFs um, or, you know, being known as the 
Bitcoin, you know, the the gold of cryptocurrencies. That you know, we're safe. We're it's the it's constantly this battle to get rid of its reputation as being a bit risky and be seen as a very safe asset, which you know everyone should be thinking about. Um, it, how do you think it's doing in that battle when it when it comes to, you know, eventually go, getting down to regulation? Because I know that a lot in the industry want that's that's the holy grail, isn't it? Really, um, for for Bitcoin. Yeah, you're right, Tom. I think at the moment, I think the reputation has been scarred quite dramatically uh, from the happenings of 2022. In, in uh, particular with some of the high-profile court cases we've seen uh, and some of the allegations that have been thrown around. Um, that will make it difficult for a while, I think, for, for this kind of broad mainstream acceptance. The other thing is it broadly depends on how people view Bitcoin, Bitcoin's utility. Um, is it – can it be used for payment, uh, which – you know, so far the jury's out on that. Um, or is it just an asset you hold like gold? Um, do you trade it like stocks? What? How do you actually, you know, what's its utility? And I think, you know, everyone has a view on that. Uh, but no one's really like thought, you know, at wide on a wide scale what's what's happening. with that. There's a lot of examples now of, of it being trying to be used in the real world for payments, etc. And people are talking about adoption. But a lot of things have to happen from a technological standpoint, transactions need to be faster, they need to be cheaper, etc, etc, for that widestream adoption. Now, will it be accepted uh, by mainstream investors is another question, because the ETF could open that up. But again, it is how much they trust that asset and also whether they can stomach some of the volatility we see around Bitcoin. Okay. Um, well, we'll leave that story there. And if you do want to know more or keep up to date with it, then obviously cnbc.com is the place to go. Arjun will be writing, I'm sure, more about crypto in the coming days. Um, but let's find out what else is happening in the world of tech. Beyond the Valley. So there's been an antitrust probe into Google by the Japanese authorities. Tell us a little bit about what's going on there. So, so the Japan Fair Trade Commission, um, which is uh, sort of its uh, markets authority and competition authority, um, said it's examining whether Google made agreements with Android smartphone makers, this is the mobile phone operating system Android, uh, to share ad-related revenue on the condition that the device manufacturer does not install a rival search engine. So they're concerned that this is limiting competition. They're examining whether Google services are prioritized on Android um, over other phones. And that's a similar investigation to something the EU did a few years ago and the US is looking at now. And, you, you know, we did that episode about regulators, whether this is the regulatory reckoning for, for the big tech companies. Uh, here's another example here of, of where their practices in particular, uh, where they are the dominant player, are being being looked at very, very closely. And then we also had a story about China investigating Taiwan-based iPhone maker Foxconn. Now, this feels less about um, sort of regulatory concerns, um, something else going on here perhaps to do with politics. <laughs> um, yes, uh, to some extent. Uh, it's always hard to tell with uh, with these stories uh, out of China. But look, let's just what we know. Um, according to Chinese state media, the Global Times, they say that multiple offices of Foxconn subsidiaries across China had been subject, subjected to tax audits 
an on-site investigation into land use. So they're focusing here on the tax issue in particular. Um, the report didn't elaborate on what those investigations were. Um, but what is Foxconn? It is the biggest manufacturer or assembler of Apple's iPhones. Apple's an American company. Um, China and the US are, are are in somewhat of a of a geopolitical battle, um, particularly with technology at front and center. So there's many who will look at this, no doubt, and say, is this some sort of uh, warning from China that, you know, it hasn't retaliated massively, I think, against some of the, the curbs and export curbs we've seen from the US on China. Is this somewhat of a of a reminder that there are tools that China possesses that that could target American firms. I'm not making a judgment call on that either way, but there's many who will sort of, I think, put that question out there. So without, keep an eye on this one, how it resolves. Yeah. But the majority of iPhones are assembled in China. And so that's a big deal. Um, you know, if we just think about what impact this could have in Apple, if there are disruptions sure. in any way, um, you know, yeah, that the could knock on effects could be, could be significant. Yeah. Um, oh, and finally, the... Uh, whether Huawei can overtake Apple in China, because oh, I think there was a, a story recently that maybe Huawei beat Apple in sales for 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 a seven-day yeah. period. I spoke to some analysts at CounterPoint Research, big research house, and they said that um, Huawei has sold about 1.6 million units of its Mate 60 uh, device that came out. Now, this is the one with that chip we spoke about a few episodes ago, 5G. the 5G chip, mm-hmm. everyone wondering how that was made, etc. That's doing very well right now. Um, and uh, for one week, um, I think it was the week commencing October 6th, uh, Huawei actually overtook Apple uh, in terms of market share just for that week. So they're right now battling it out yeah. for the number one spot yeah. in China. Now, this is a stunning reversal if, if this comes to pass and Huawei can maintain that momentum through the rest of the year. Uh, of Huawei's position of, of being sort of Nowhere to be seen in the smartphone market after effectively its business was was crippled by U.S. sanctions and its inability to get its hands on technology. This would be a stunning turnaround. Yeah. Um, and as I as we were speaking about in that podcast, what would be the impact on Apple? Huawei's one of the biggest challenges to Apple there. That certainly, if this conti- if that momentum continues, you're seeing that play out, that challenge to Apple. Okay, all right. Um, before we wrap up, uh, we have, of course, got to do stat of the week. Stat of the week, Tom. Uh, Two point nine seven trillion. Did you add the seven in earlier? Because you know that could change how I see this. You know what? You know two point. Yeah, you did. Okay, all right, fine. I just had two point nine, which I'd written down, but that's fine. There or thereabouts. Sure, sure. Um, uh, what's another bit? You know, hundred billion. Um, the the stat I believe is how much uh, the uh, Bitcoin market has uh, is now or added f- since May twenty twenty two. There were so many bits of that that sounded. Like I thought you were. I was gonna... looking into your eyes, and there was the, the hope was there, and then it died away, and then it would raise again, and then it died away. Um, <laughs> again, on the right lines, John. Yeah, just but. So two point nine seven trillion US dollars. That was the total value of the entire cryptocurrency market at its peak in November. 2021. The old oh, 2021. Okay, the all-time two point nine seven trillion dollars. 
It's a lot of money. Okay, good. Thanks, Arjun. Um, that's it for this episode. Before you go, please follow and subscribe to the show. And if you have any questions on tech, remember you can email beyondthevalley at cnbc.com and we will answer them on the pod or we will attempt to answer them. Uh, thank you, Arjun. Thank you, Tom. We'll be back next week for another episode of Beyond the Valley. Goodbye. Beyond the Valley.